Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We have been in these two verses, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. This is actually our fifth week. We decided to break our arm one week, so we missed. But this is our fourth sermon, and this is part four, and... Lord's willing, we will wrap it up today. And I would even say this. Spend some time maybe reading in Romans 1 this week because there's a real good chance that we will pick up in verse 18 next week. And so with 16 chapters in Romans and five weeks on two verses, you can do the math. You'll just need a calculator. But uh, I have just been blessed by these verses and uh, God has just really spoken to my heart personally and so let's read them again Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 16 Paul has just said I'm looking forward Rome to coming and preaching the gospel to you wait a minute these are believers yeah He said, I'm looking forward to coming and preaching the gospel to you who are believers. Why would believers need to hear the gospel? Well, I hope by now we are beginning to understand that it's not just about getting saved, it's about being saved, and it's about one day we shall be saved. So why preach the gospel to believers? Because you not only need the gospel to become a Christian, you have to have the gospel to be a Christian, and then one of these days to live eternally with God and to escape the wrath to come, you still will need the gospel. And that's kind of what we miss in some of this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, And also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Again, we've said from the beginning that were the two most important things that you and I need to understand about life itself. There's nothing more important than that we grasp, first of all, who God is. Not who we think He is, not who we want Him to be, not who we feel like He is to us, not a God that behaves well intellectually and scientifically, not a God that we had to reshape a little bit because we were just smarter than most people, Not a God that we didn't feel like was compassionate enough, so we had to work on that for him a little bit. But we've about got him whipped into shape, and now I think uh, he is a God that we probably will be able to worship. If that's what you're thinking, you're thinking his way off, my friend. You don't know God, you just know you. And that's the problem. We don't create God, he creates us. We need to know who God is as he is presented to us according to his word. And then secondly, 
since we discovered in learning about him that he is holy and we are not, we have to figure out how to get that resolved. How is, does it work? How do you and I as sinners become reconciled to him, brought into a relationship with him? We've used the word righteousness uh, probably uh, several hundred times in these five weeks. Righteousness, a good definition of it, is a right standing with God. How do I acquire? How is it that I come about to ever know in my life a right standing with God? We've already quoted him, we will again. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to, into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You find that quote in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God? First things that pop into our mind. If it pops out of your mouth as well as in your mind, we'll know a lot about you. We, we may find out instantly just from your understanding or your opinion or whatever it is that you offer about God. Whatever it is you think about God, it could tell us a lot about how you feel about sin and yourself and salvation. And are you right with Him? If you are, how did you get right with Him? And how do you see God and, and understand God in your life? And how is it that we become reconciled to Him? All of those things could be revealed by the words that flow from our lips when we think about who God is. We knew. Paul tells us in chapter 1 here, we did not, we've not read it yet uh, to that far, but in verse 25 of this chapter, he says, we knew, we as human beings, he said, says they exchanged the truth of God. Even though they knew who God was, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Remember we talked about it. it's the lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's not that we just need more information. It's not that we need an apologist uh, to come in and, and convince us and, and, and help us to overcome all our doubts. There's not a bunch of gaps. If some smart, really brilliant uh, person could kind of fill those in for us, boy, then, then we'd come to know God. It's really not about that at all. Uh, we knew God, and we knew what he was like. I love this quote from Dr. Warren Wiersbe. Evolution kind of got it backwards. Those are my words, not his. But here are his words. He said, human history is not the story of a beast that worshiped idols and then evolved into a man worshiping one God. Human history is just the opposite. It is man who began knowing God but turned from the truth and rejected God. And look at our society. We didn't go from beast to sane-thinking moral beings. We went from sane-thinking moral beings to uncontrollable moral ogres who know little, it seems, about right and wrong and care even less. So how is it we get right with God? Most won't. That's a sad truth, but it's the New Testament truth. It's from the lips of Jesus. Most never will. 
But if that's something that God is drawing our hearts to become, is right with him, if he's calling us to him, we need to understand some things about the gospel. We've already talked about four of them. We'll talk about the last two today. There was a stigma of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. They made fun of me when I tried to tell them about it on Mars Hill. When I talked to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. When I talked to the Greeks, they think I'm an idiot. He says, but I got news for you. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The strength of it, he says, for it is the dunamis, the dynamite of God. It can move things that are not movable, it seems. That's what the gospel it can do. It can change things that seem like it would never change. The scope of it to everyone who believes. It doesn't matter about race, ethnicity, or any of that kind of stuff. The only thing that he requires of us is that we put our belief and our trust in him. And then the significance of it, that's where we discovered the righteousness of God and that he would give us his righteousness. Remember, last week we talked about Luther and he had such a problem with this verse. But he discovered that the righteousness that is revealed here is a righteousness that God gives to us, not something we earned, an alien righteousness, he called it. It is something we get from God. Today, let's talk about Number five, the secret of the gospel. How do we attain it? And that's where we come to this little saying that's popular but often misunderstood, I think, in verse 17. From faith to faith. But the righteous man shall live by faith. That's what salvation, that's the pattern of it, he says. It's from faith to faith. God didn't ask that we behave so we could have a relationship with him. I'm so glad he didn't because I'm not real good at that. I've proven that over and over. He said that you need to believe. You need to put your faith and your trust in me. It is not something you can do. It is you, and you've got to understand that from the very outset. When he talks about it, uh, it is from faith. It starts out from faith, and then it ends with faith. You start out by trusting in him for your salvation, but then you keep trusting him, and it just keeps leading you to continue to put your faith in him from faith to faith. It just starts with faith, and it ends with faith. And, you, and that's something that I know we talked about, but we cannot miss this because sometimes we think we, got, we use faith and trust and, and dependency and brokenness to be saved, but then once we became saved, we felt like we were all on our own and we just started working as hard as we could to try to be good boys and girls and we just never were able to figure out why we stunk so bad at salvation. It's just a mess. It was a cycle of rededication, guilt, shame, gonna do better, good one day, bad the next. Just a vicious spiritual ride that we won't offer. Well, it's from faith. It starts with faith. And it ends with faith. And I love those words. I bet you've heard them before. Know you how. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. 
and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, and the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even though it is well with my soul. It is, starts with faith. It ends with faith. Faith is hard for us, though. I, I can tell you, we can talk about putting our faith and our trust in God, but boy, it's, it's just tough for us. Uh, sometimes we want to see the God we've read about in the Bible. We, we, we want him to, we just love for him to be more visible, more audible, more clear. Uh, less about just trusting in a, a God that we don't actually see with our eyes. We, 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 can, uh, we can shout and sing about faith all day long, but I can tell you, having faith in God and really putting your faith and trust in Him, man, I'm telling you, that's not easy. It, we as human beings are, are wired for survival and, and, and to do it on our own. And, and, and boy, then sometimes we see things that God allows that we don't understand. And that really wrecks our faith. Well, if God let that happen, what makes me think that he might stop this other thing over here from taking place? Philip Yancey has a book out called Disappointment with God. If you've not read it, I'd recommend it. I just want to share with you three things that he says that people usually get disappointed with God about. And one is, why is it he fair? And why does it he speak audibly? And why does it he ever show up physically? We, 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 we sometimes we think he's not fair. Now, of course, we're judging God by our understanding of fairness. And we always have to remember that. It's easy to look at God and say, God, you're not fair. But first of all, he's hearing that from a very flawed human being. And I have a very short perspective, and it's very subjective as to what I think about what is fair and what is not. So I don't want to start judging God and holding him accountable for everything that I don't understand. I have to be careful with that. But in this book, it's quite refreshing. Dr. Yancey does a great job of just saying, yeah, but when you get down to it, there's some days that God just may not make sense. Here's what he says, the Israelites, he says, though they were exposed to the bright, unshaded light of God's presence, they were as fickle a people that has ever lived. God showed himself to them. They saw him plain as day. And ten times, ten different times at least on their journey through the wilderness, they shook their fist in his face and rose up against God. So maybe that wouldn't fix all of our problems. Have you thought about that? Let's just go back for a second. We've got time today because we only have one more point after this one. But just think about it. What if God acted fairly. There, there was a time, and I know that's our understanding of what is fair. There was a time God was a lot more tit for tat. If you go back and you look at Exodus, and especially Exodus in the book of Deuteronomy, and, and some in Numbers, but if you go back and look at when God was just, I mean, it was more black and white, more immediate than it is in our world today. First of all, why doesn't he act fairly? Well, he said, I did. He said, I told you, first of all, if you obey me, 
Your cities will be prosperous and your rural areas, they'll flourish. But if you disobey me, there will be violence, crime, and poverty. And it was instant and it was consistent. God was in what we would call fair. Also, he said, if you obey me, there'll be fertility among humans. You have big families, your animals, the crops, and all of that will do well. If you disobey me, crop failure, locusts, worms, you got it. He says, it's even as far as the weather. If you obey me, it'll be good weather. If you disobey me, it'll be scorching heat and drought. He said, if you obey me, you can have military victories over people that are greater than you. But if you disobey me, then you will spend your life in slavery. During those days, it was instant. It was clear. And you would think, well, if we really are wanting a God who seems to be fair, boy, those people should have been the most righteous, godly, uh, the most God-seeking people in the history of the world. And they were just as fickle and disobedient as we are. What about speaking clearly? He spoke clearly back then too. Do we move today or not? All you had to do is go outside the, your little tent and see if the cloud's moving. If the cloud of God's moving, you move. If it's not moving, you stay. If it goes right, you go right. If it goes left, you go left. Uh, God was very, very clear. And then they cast lots, the Urim and the Thummim, and they would cast lots. And, and they believed that God had, had ordained that to help them to discern the truth, black and white. Yes or no, it was clear. And then he was so clear about so many things. I mean, Things that, that it's hard to imagine that, that meant anything to God. He says, for once, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. I, I just, boy, and I don't even know if you knew not to do that. Maybe you've not been brushing up on your Old Testament and you got a goat at home that you're ready to prepare for lunch today. Don't boil it in its mother's milk. That is against the law of God. Plus 612 more commandments. He told him, he says, when you go up against Jericho, don't take any of the spoils. What did they do? They took the spoils and they paid the price. One more. When they failed to go into the promised land, God told them, go back into the wilderness and die. Moses says, you have rejected God and he has rejected you. You go back into the wilderness and you can die there. If you don't think you can make it into the promised land, I'm already not going to get to go because I was disobedient. Because you were disobedient, go back into the wilderness and die. And then they came to Moses and they said, but, 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 but we've changed our mind. We've decided now that we can do it. And, and, and yeah, we, we, we got it. We, we talked about it. We had a meeting. And, and we've decided now that we can. And Moses said, don't do it. Don't do it. God will not be with you. And they said, no, 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 no. We're going to obey God. We realize now our mistake. And, and we've changed our mind. And Moses says, well, you might have changed yours, but God doesn't change his. And they went into the promised land, and it says the Amorites came after them like bees. I don't know how I've been blessed so many times with so many run-ins with bees. I don't care what kind of weapon you have on you. I don't care if you have a sword or a fully automatic machine gun. 
They're good for a lot of things. But bees is one of those creatures that can get the best of you. I don't care who you are or how well you fight. Even if you have a black belt in jujitsu, the bees will get you. He spoke clearly to them, laid it out black and white, no doubt about it. Elders didn't have to get together and pray and said, well, we're kind of feeling this, or God's kind of give us a piece about that. No, back then he was clear. And did they obey him? Did it lead to God's people being closer to him? No. Act fairly, speak clearly. What if he showed up physically? Sometimes we say, well, I just love to see God. And we actually think if God would just show himself to this world, then, then man alive, that people would believe. If God just one day would say, all right, everybody go outside. I'm going to write it in the sky. I'm God, and all the stuff in the Bible is true, and everybody will get right with me. I, I know. I, I grew up thinking that as a child, and, and I kind of grew up thinking it as a pastor, but I don't believe it anymore. After studying his word and, 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 and growing in my own experience and struggling with my own unbelief and depravity, I realized we'd be just like the children of Israel. Man, God would shake the mountain when Moses went up there. And when Moses came back down, his face was so shiny from being in the presence of God that they asked him, will you veil yourself? Man, you, you're, you're, you're burning out the Ray-Bans here. We can't stand that. And then they even begged God, they told, or begged Moses. They said, let God speak to you, but, 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 but don't let him speak to us. He, he, you talk to him. And then you tell us what he said. If you look at all of those things, you find out that even if God did all those things we thought he ought to do, we would be no better. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't seek him like we do. We wouldn't cry out to him and pray for his will if it was that black and white, and it would not make us follow him any closer. Last of all, and then we'll move to our final point, Jesus ran into this. Matthew 12, 38 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. You, you, you see how, uh, how tempting that is to say if we could just see a sign from you. And Jesus said this to them. He was so nice about it. He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea, or the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of of the earth. In other words, I am going to die and be resurrected. I will rise from the dead, and that's going to be your sign. And you either put your faith and your trust in that, or you will die in your sins. 
He says, the men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn them because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Man, Jonah's the worst preacher in the entire Old Testament. And I'll tell you why I think so. Have you ever looked at his sermon? When he went to Nineveh, he didn't say, if you don't straighten out, God's going to do it. No, he just said, in 40 days, God will turn Nineveh, literally the Hebrew word, upside down and he left he didn't say this is what you need to do i got some cards here let's fill them out some need to get baptized he didn't say any of that he just said 40 days god's gonna wipe the place off the map just think about that a preacher showing up he's still all bleached out from from being in the gizzard of that whale and and all of that and he's standing there and he just looks at him and all he says in 40 days god's gonna turn the whole place upside down and it says the king told everybody we're gonna repent and we're going to put on sackcloth and ashes and repent. And, and this, I think, is the coolest thing. He says, we're going to put them on the animals, too. I'd never heard of that. He put them on the animals. He said, if you got a dog, you got a goat, you got a cow, you got a donkey, we're going to put sackcloth and ashes on them, too. We're going to do everything we can to see if God will repent of what he's going to do to us. Because they listened to Jonah. And repented, Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees, and boy, this, this had to make them matter than anything in the world. He says, I tell you, the men of Nineveh, that bunch of pagan Gentiles, will stand in judgment of you one day. Of course, then you get to the book of Nahum, and you find out that Nineveh was just like us. Even after that great revival, and all those miraculous things God did, they turned and walked away. Signs are not enough. And God destroyed them. He added one more verse. He said, the queen of the south will rise up. I was the queen of Sheba with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She knew that Solomon guy's got a gift from some kind of divine being. She had faith enough to know that I need to listen to what this man has to say. And behold, he says, someone greater than Solomon is here. So he says, look, I've already given it to you both ways. I sent a Israelite to Gentiles, and then I sent a Gentile to an Israelite. And you didn't get it. So if you don't put your faith and trust in my death and resurrection, you won't ever get it. You won't ever get it. Last of all, the stigma, the strength, the scope, the significance, the secret, the security. The security we have in this salvation Verse 17 ends with, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. We're going to talk about this. This is Habakkuk 2.4. And it occurs, this verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. It's quoted in Romans 1.17, but the righteous man shall live by faith. In Galatians 3.11, but the righteous man shall live by faith. In Hebrews 10.38, but the righteous man shall live live by faith. What makes that verse so important for us to relate to our salvation? Well, let me just tell you this. When Habakkuk wrote his prophecy, God had told his people, he said, the Chaldeans are coming. 
The tribes in the north were already gone. This is probably somewhere around 600, 586. Nebuchadnezzar is going to finally come one more time, and he's going to take everything. But Habakkuk writes to them, and he tells them that the Chaldeans are coming. Matter of fact, in the first two chapters, Habakkuk does more talking with God than he does with the people of Israel because he looks at God and says, God, you say the Chaldeans, and the Chaldeans were the Babylonians. Uh, Chaldea was a southern part of Babylon, but the word Chaldean is synonymous with any of the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are coming. Nebuchadnezzar is going to lead them into town. He's going to ransack the temple, ransack Jerusalem. It's all going to be destroyed. And, and Habakkuk, when he writes, he talks to God and he just says to him, God, if you're going to turn them loose on us, how in the world will anyone escape? And that's the question I want us to close out this whole series on. When God comes one day and says, I am going to turn this world upside down. I am going to wipe it out. I am going to take evil and wickedness head on. And I am going to destroy it. And when we read about that, we ought to ask ourselves then, well, how can anybody survive that? Habakkuk, he even told God, he said, those people are more wicked than we are. He even asked God, he said, how can you use people that are more wicked than we are? They're, they're less righteous than us. And I don't think he understood righteousness very well at that point. But he was talking about they're more wicked than we are. Those people are absolutely barbaric. They just wipe out nations and terrorize people and torture them. And, and, and God looks at Habakkuk, his prophet, and he says, I'm going to get them too. He said, don't you worry, they won't escape. They've been on my radar a while. And they may think they're big and bad. And nobody tells us what to do. But he says, their day is coming. I saw the video this week, maybe you did, on the news. I forgot what city it was. Just pick one. Man walked right up behind a man. Man didn't even know he was standing there. Stood there for a minute, looked at him, planted his feet and twisted. He turned into him and hit him in the side of the head. That man is still in a coma in the hospital. Now, the man that hit him had already been in jail more times than I can even count. I, I don't even remember. There was a whole page of his mugshot, plural. A whole page of his mugshots each time he had been arrested. And he was walking around among us. He's a sex offender. He is a wicked soul. And he feels like I can just haul off and hit anybody I want to. Man, Habakkuk asked God, he said, how long, God, are you going to let this kind of stuff go on? How long are you going to let these Babylonians act like this? And then are you going to turn them loose on your own people? I mean, we just see wicked and debauchery everywhere. 
But here's the question. How will we escape that wrath when God comes to wipe out the earth? Because i got to admit to you, friend, I don't know how you feel about it. I hope I know. But i got to tell you something. God ought to wipe me out when he gets the rest of them. My dad used to have an old saying when he would see somebody do something like that guy did. He'd say, you know, if God wasn't merciful, he'd kill me first. And then he'd kill a whole bunch of other people. I think you'd start with me. How am I going to escape? There's nobody in this world that was more prideful than I was. And, and, and man, alive, dishonest and just absolute wreck in my life and full of lust and then full of hate and full of guilt and shame and everything else in the world. And God saved me. God forgave me of my sinfulness. But I can just tell you, if God comes to wipe out all of the wicked, I'm telling you, you'd, got, you'd have to count me in there, except for the fact of salvation. And that is that he gave me his righteousness. He declared me righteous through his own righteousness. So that's how I will escape one day when he turns this world inside out. I don't deserve it. I think sometimes our eschatological models, don't try to write that down. Just get with George after the service. He'll help you with those. I think sometimes our eschatological models, some of the most popular ones, and I'm not saying which one's right or wrong, but how we see the end times, eschaton is the end, how we see the end times unfolding. I think if we're not careful, we get a little element of, oh, 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 oh boy, God's going to get them. We like it when he gets them, don't we? Oh, yeah. One of these days, we'll see wickedness. We'll see somebody like this guy hit that man. And, and I, I'll have to tell you, to, you want to know how wicked I am? I was just sitting there thinking, boy, I, if I was standing behind him, I mean, here I am. This is your pastor. If I'm standing behind him, if you see me out and about and I got my pants on, I'm going to tell you I got something else on too. I'm too old and fat to whoop that boy. But before his fist got to the back of that man's head, Oh, I'm just, I'm just telling you, some of you sitting there, you're not nodding an amen, and I know what you'd do. Yeah, it's written all over you, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'd have shut his lights off, man. I'm just telling you, you, you see? I like that, and I like to study the end times where God just, boy, he's going to get them, and he's going to get them good. He is going to get them, and he is going to get them good, but he ought to get all of us good. Because that's exactly what we deserve. Exactly what we deserve. John Piper, I read this quote from him one time already. I want to let him sum up this series for us. He's much brighter than me. That's a low bar. John Piper says this. The wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God. I want to read it again. The wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God. 
of God. He went on after that to say, we must remember that the love of God never trifles with unrighteousness and wrath. And what he meant by that is this. We can always say, yeah, but God loves everybody. He does love everybody. But just to say that God loves everybody and that means somehow or another he's going to work it out. When people tell you, well, I think God loves everybody. Look at them and say, I do too. Tell me how you see him and his love bringing us into a right standing with him. That's what we need to understand. How does he do that? Because there's a lot of people that... They're like, well, you know, I know Muslims don't believe Jesus is really God and that his death on the cross meant anything. But, but, you know, God loves them. He does love them. And the Jews rejected Jesus outright, but God loves everybody. God does love everybody. But it doesn't just stop there. The rich young ruler, when he went to walk away in the book of Mark, God, Jesus looked at him and it said that Jesus loved him, but he let him walk away. It's not just about that. Man... The righteous, they will live. If you just stop right there, okay, that's good news. That's sort of like the doctor coming in and saying, okay, you're going to live. Phew. Okay, good. The rest of it can't be that bad, right? You're going to live. Good. Your wife puts those insurance papers back in her purse. Okay. Have to wait. I'm just kidding. She never took him out of her purse, not at the hospital. She loves you too much for that. I'm just telling you, folks. God does love us and care about us. And he says, you will live. The righteous will live. And how will they live when the Chaldeans come? How will they live one day when God cuts his wrath loose on this earth? How will those who are righteous survive it? They will, he says. They will survive it by their faith. The righteous live by their faith. Man. And I would say not only we will survive in the end, we have to survive every day by our faith. When God doesn't make sense, we have to survive by our faith. We have to survive by our faith. Man, I'm just telling you, it's one of the hardest things in the world to try to comfort somebody when you know that if you were going through that same thing, the words that come out of your mouth would not mean a thing to you. I got a text last night from someone hurting so badly. Took me all night to figure out what to say. It's tough. The righteous have to live by faith. I want to close by telling you about a man named Edward Moat. He lived in the 1830s, somewhere around there. Grew up in the streets of London. His mom and dad ran a pub in London and they never really looked after him very well. and He said, I grew up, these were his words, he said, I was so ignorant that I didn't even know there was a God. Bitter, 
full of sinfulness and darkness and hatred. Didn't feel like anybody cared about him. But at the age of 18, you got to remember that boys became men early years ago. You, you, you do understand that the whole word teenager, the whole idea of teenager is only, it's less than 100 years old. You went from child to manhood. We didn't have that time out period where we let you burn the back tires off mom and dad's Buick and just said, well, they're a teenager. We didn't have that always. This young man at 18 years of age, he heard the gospel and he accepted Christ. He was a cabinet maker until he was 55. And at 55, he went into the ministry. And for 21 years until the day he died, he never missed a Sunday preaching the gospel in the pulpit in London. He said he used to walk the streets. And he said, after I was saved, I'd sing little poems and make up little songs and sing them to God. I want to close with one of them, those little poems he made up. He said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Frame, that's where we put ideas together, our own thoughts. He said, I don't trust my own thoughts, my own imaginations about God. I dare not trust any of that. I put my hope and faith and lean only on Jesus' name. In every rough and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil, and when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. My favorite verse. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless. Are you kidding me? Faultless to stand before his throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground. It's sinking sand. That little song takes us through being saved or getting saved, being saved, and we'll be saved. To those who are believing, to everyone who is believing, righteousness of God. That's how you do it. You fall on your face before God. And you say, God, I'm a worthless sinner. I need your salvation. I need your righteousness, God. I can't do it on my own. And here, here's, here's where we falter sometimes. We may not try to do it all on our own. I don't know very many Christians that do. I don't know any truly born-again Christians that do, but I, I, even people that grew up in church, I don't know of any of them that are trying to do it all on their own. The temptation is to try to do some of it on your own. You ever notice that? Well, I know I'm just saved by the grace of God. But 
I tell you, I hadn't cussed in 20 years. I bet God's got that written down up there somewhere. You really think that helps any? Paul told the church at Galatia, said, you've been bewitched. Somebody sold you a sorry bill of goods. He says, the righteous man shall live by his faith. Not in himself, but in God. Sometimes we try to help some. Can't do it. Fall before him, broken, and put your faith and trust totally in him. Most likely next week we'll pick up with verse 18. But I hope in these past few weeks, and you can go online and I think they'll be on there if you missed a sermon. You can go online and hear them. This was different for me, doing two verses for four solid weeks. But I got to tell you, man, this was just too important. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being who you are, not changing who you were, Remaining who you've always been, righteous and holy. We thank you, God, for not ever violating that, but somehow or another through your wisdom and power, you were able to reconcile us who were neither righteous nor holy to bring us into a right standing with you. Lord, I pray you'd help us to live and share that every day. Every day. And I pray for those here, God, that are so frustrated. It just seems like they can never get it right. They feel like the biggest failure in the world. A good day one day, bad day the next. They struggle. Lord, I pray that you just help all of us to realize and know that it took faith in you brokenness and total trust to become saved. Help us to realize that's exactly what it takes to be saved. And that is what in the end will save us, God. Thank you so much, Lord. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.